Welcome to Monday. It's the Piero Palka podcast. Mike here. And I realize I'm getting the podcast posted a little bit later than usual, but it's just because life is a little crazier than usual today. Uh, a wacky day on every level, but we have many, many things to talk about today. Some of it breaking news, some of it news that needs to be broken and shattered and put in the trash and thrown out at the curb. But there's a lot of stuff out there, a whole lot of stuff out there. Uh, we always like to look back on this day back in the day because history matters. History is where we learn stuff and it helps you put your day into perspective. It was on this day in 1882 that John L. Sullivan, a fighter, won the last bare knuckle heavyweight title in in America over another bare knuckle fighter named Patty Ryan. And I uh, I think about this and I think, wow, we got so civilized with boxing, with boxing gloves. And then we went back to the uh, UFC type stuff. So it seems like bare knuckle fighting is back after about 140 years. I'm just saying. Also in the on this date in 1943, Shoe rationing began in the USA. Think about that. Shoe rationing. Because of World War II, you were only allowed three pair of leather shoes a year. You could only buy three pair of leather shoes in a year. I know all of you are thinking, I would never get by with that. Think about that, though. That's the kind of uh, sacrifice we as a nation made when taking on evil, when taking on on Hitler and taking on Japan. Shoe rationing, something I had never thought about. Imagine going through this year from now on until next February and not being able to buy more than three pair of shoes. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Certainly does put some things in perspective. Also on the state in 1962, JFK expanded his executive order which started the blockade and the uh, trade blockade with Cuba and put a full embargo on Cuba. That's the way we had to finally slow down the Soviet invasion into Cuba. Not necessarily invasion, but an infusion. And, of course, we then later had the missiles of October. JFK was a strong man, and he would not be a Democrat today. They would have thrown him out of the party long ago. Why? Well, he had that whole... Income tax reduction. That would have really ticked him off. On this day in 1964, the Beatles arrived in New York City. 25,000 people showed up at JFK Airport screaming for the Beatles. The pop invasion happened, the British invasion. And I'm thinking about this, and we always used to cut back to that footage of the, of the kids screaming at the Beatles and say, wow, that was really amazing. And then you think how long ago that was. Go all the, back, all the way back to 62, 60 years ago, the Beatles showed up. 64 was. Uh, so almost 60 years ago, the Beatles showed up. And then you think this past week was the 45th anniversary of Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album, which had so many great hits on it, like Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. I know the Clintons ruined that for you. But there were so many smash hits on the Rumors album, it's 45 years old. How did that happen? 
And since we look at space so often on this show, we have to take a moment and pay tribute to Navy Captain Bruce McCandless II. McCandless, on this date in 1984, performed the first untethered spacewalk. He was the first person to successfully leave a spacecraft in outer space without some kind of connection. And he did this by using a rocket suit that he had designed himself. So he put his own butt on the line. Kind of an amazing thing. God bless you, Bruce McCandless II. All right, looking over a lot of the news. Yeah, I know. The Russia thing. Who can know? I firmly believe that that Russia is not going to invade Ukraine. And now watch if they do it in the next 10 minutes. I'm going to look like a dope. I think this is all hype. I think this is all hype to help Putin. He'll get great negotiating power. He'll also forge a stronger bond with China. And uh, it'll help Biden. Because Biden heretofore looked weak. I, and I, I really think he still looks weak. But they're trying to say, well, he, he managed to avoid a war. If you avoid a war that never was a war, did you really avoid anything? I don't think so. But we'll see what happens. I pray for no war. No war at all. I'm not watching the Olympics either. I don't know about you. I have not watched one minute of the Olympics. I read the medal counts, etc., but I'm not following it. I'm not giving NBC any of my time. I think it's disgusting what NBC is doing, kowtowing to China. And I also think the ESPN situation, the commentator on ESPN, who last week said uh, that we have no business talking about genocide when we ourselves have such a horrible record when it comes to you know, voting rights and voter suppression. Here's his actual statement. Who are we to criticize China's human rights records when we have ongoing uh, attacks by the agents of the state against unarmed citizens and we've got assaults on the voting rights of, of our people of color in various states in this country? So sports, I think it is possible and it's necessary more than ever to just shut everything out if you are to enjoy the actual games themselves. What a bunch of dopes. What a bunch of dopes. They just don't understand the truth, do they? They have no tolerance for the truth, especially when you talk about voter ID. It's only the most sacred responsibility you have as a citizen of this country is to participate and vote. And yeah, if you choose not to vote, that still is a choice. I get it. But if you're going to vote, you got to have an ID. You got to be able to prove who you are. Just saying. Uh, Joe Rogan was in the news, of course, over the weekend. There were apologies for a montage that came out uh, of him saying the N-word, the actual word, not saying N-word, but saying the full word. And then the, uh, the awful statement he made about going to see Planet of the Apes in Philly. And uh, that one he apologized for, but he also claims he was stoned. And do you get to, um, do you get to write off your comments like that by saying you were stoned or drunk, you can apologize and maybe people will forgive you. And I think his apologies are heartfelt, but I think the montage of the N-word lacks context, as he said in his apology. And I also think it was a setup. Apparently, it's been tied back to a super PAC, a liberal super PAC that has a serious agenda to get rid of him. 
And, uh, oh, by the way, I think the only person who's going to decide whether or not Joe Rogan stays, no, not the CEO of uh, Spotify, although that would be nice if they would still continue, as they've said, that they're not going to cancel him. But I think this is all about Barack Obama. Barack Obama has hinted that he's going to take his podcast away from Spotify and take it somewhere else. That's the decider to me. And I think that would be a loss. You know, Rogan? Rogan is a voice that scares people because he can't be controlled. It's really fascinating. Rogan's also a guy who makes some pretty interesting contributions. There's a a little film company out of New Jersey who put together some motivational films that they uh, post online. And Joe Rogan has done a couple for them. One of them called Fortitude. Let me give you a little sample. Throughout history, there have been enormous entities, whether they're armies or governments, that have wrecked havoc. And if you don't think that can happen right now, you're crazy. It's always happening. And we always have to fight against it. The idea of saying that freedom is important is a frivolous notion. You have to understand what you get when you don't have freedom. Once people have control of you, they do bad things. Just the psychological state of people that have absolute control over you, and then they want to tell you what to do. You know, there's some people that are bad parents. They're like, just shut up and go to your room. They don't want to deal with it anymore. That's some parents, right? It's also some governments. He's right. It's also some governments, and he's fighting against that kind of just go to your room and shut up. He finished that thought in the rest of this brief, it was kind of about a minute and a half little inspirational clip. And they treat people as if they have to listen and they know better than you. And you're just going to have to get used to doing this because this is how we do things. Like, hey, no, you, you're just a person. You shouldn't be telling all these other people who disagree how they have to live their life. How can you do that? The only way. You have to have ultimate power. You have to be the only one who's armed. You have to be the only one who gets to say. You have to be stuck in this weird situation where you can change laws, change rules because there's an emergency. Get away all sorts of protections that people have had in the past. And then you never get it. Interesting, right? Kind of reminds you of something. You have to have an emergency and then take all kinds of power and grant yourself all kinds of authority. You think that's maybe why some of the people who are trying to get rid of Joe Rogan and shut up Joe Rogan are working so hard? I do. I did not listen to any of his three-hour-long podcast until this scandal broke out. And while I still don't have all that time to give to Joe Rogan and his podcast, I will support his right to have an opinion. He's not calling for the government to be destroyed He's not calling for a violent insurrection. He's calling for something much, much more dangerous. A conversation. And I support that. Ah, it's maddening. And as I mentioned earlier, I do think one of the people who's going to be the decider, if you will, is Barack Obama. Barack Obama, who is making the news today. There are pictures of Barack Obama out there. Uh, He now has yet another multi-million dollar mansion, waterfront mansion being built. This one in Hawaii. He's got the one on Martha's Vineyard. They have a, uh, a mansion in D.C. and they have a mansion in Chicago. And now he has bought a property in Hawaii. He's bulldozed the previous building on the property. He's having a new one built there. 
because, you know, you can never have enough oceanfront mansions when you're telling everybody else that the, uh, the waters are going to rise and swallow up the coastlines. What a hypocrite. He's also a hypocrite when it comes to the millions and millions and millions of dollars he's making. I'm all for everybody being able to make as much money as you can. America has a minimum wage. We don't have a maximum wage. And I hope it stays that way forever. Remember when Barack Obama talked, though, about maybe there's a point at which people have too much money? I do. It was 10 years ago. I, I want to be clear. We're not, we're not trying to push financial reform uh, because we begrudge success that's fairly earned. I mean, I, I do think at a certain point you've made enough money. Hmm. Interesting. When he made that address, he was in public at a rally. There was not exactly a gigantic, overwhelming reaction positively towards that last statement. Listen to the crowd after he says, at some point, you've made enough money. I mean, I, I do think at a certain point you've made enough money. A couple of laughs and really nothing else. I do think this guy's a dangerous guy. And I do think he's a globalist, ultimately. He wants to be the first president of the world. That sounds really conspiratorial, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. But that's kind of the way I think about him. Uh, we also should spend a little time on uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., our president, who still seems to be confused about a lot of things, and that means we have to ask the question. What in God's name is Joe Biden trying to say? Yeah, 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 that's a great question. Joe, uh, speechifying this uh, last week, just a couple of days ago, said something at the end that just had me shaking my head. I don't want to get going because I have to keep you here too long because you know all what I'm about to, what I've said and you know what I've done and you know what we're doing and you know what I know what you're doing. Let me close with this. Oh, my God. Well, one more time. I would like someone to diagram this sentence. I don't want to get going because I have to keep you here too long because you know all what I'm about to, what I've said and you know what I've done and you know what we're doing and you know what I know what you're doing. Oh Let me close with God. this. Help us. Help us, Lord. Please protect us. This is the guy who I believe has no idea what is actually happening around him. I firmly believe he's not aware of what's going on, that the trio behind him, Barack Obama, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett, are actually running things. And they're not helping. To say they're helping would, would be a lie. They're not helping. And in fact, we're now starting to see some things happen in the background of this administration that have a lot of us getting very concerned. We talked briefly the other day about the, um, the plans to create a national gun registry, and I think that is working hand-in-hand hand with what the Attorney General's office is doing to claim that uh, there are violent insurgents all over this country. I think they're getting ready to make a crackdown now, let's, let's think about this. If the attorney general's focused on finding what they call domestic terrorists, while we have 16 or 17 cities in this country experiencing crime waves with record murders, 
you have to wonder, why aren't we focusing on those 16 or 17 mostly Democratic-run cities with the massive crime spikes and the huge record-setting murder counts? Why aren't we doing that? Instead, we've got the attorney general's office putting out statements like this. We face an elevated threat from domestic violent extremists. That is individuals in the United States who seek to commit violent criminal acts in furtherance of domestic, social, or political goals. Domestic violent extremists are often motivated by a mix of ideologies and personal grievances. We've seen a growing threat from those who are motivated by racial animus, as well as those who ascribe to extremist, anti-government, and anti-authority ideologies. Now, we've got, as I said, this massive murder spike in the country. We also have an attack on law enforcement. More members of law enforcement were intentionally killed last year than in any year since 1995. So why are we pretending there is this uh, internal white terror group, domestic terror group in the country? Maybe it's part of a push to confiscate every firearm in the country. I, I certainly feel that way. In order to make my case on this, I need to bring in an expert. I need to bring in one of the best writers on this, one of the best thinkers on this, and that's John Lott. John is joining us, and uh, we have to talk about the Second Amendment, John, because there's a whole lot of stuff going on on the Second Amendment. Some of it, uh, I think, really troubling. Is it fair to say there's a lot going on with the Second Amendment, John Lott? Well, I mean, you're right. There's a lot that's happening. Uh, there are things uh, that are concerning and there are things that are hopeful. Um, you know, on the concerning side, there's the fact that it's it's come to light that uh, Biden has put together uh, essentially a national registry for guns. Um He's been having uh, gun dealers across the United States uh, go and turn in their records uh, to the federal government. And uh, they've collected something like almost a billion transaction records out there that they put into a searchable database. And so it's, you know, not, you know, they've essentially, for those billion records, have a list of who's bought guns, uh, what guns that they've bought, and uh, they have now, in just a relatively short period of time, put together, for those individuals anyway, um, uh, a national registry. And and what you have is anytime somebody goes and buys a new gun, uh, their name will get added to this list. Or uh, in the states that have these so-called universal background checks, when you have to go through a, a federally licensed dealer to transfer the gun from one person to another, um, your name will get added to this list also there. Um, you know, fortunately, that's not in all the states. But, you know, one of the interesting things, there's a recent Rasmussen poll that came out. Um, about two-thirds of Democrats like the idea of having a national registry for guns. About two-thirds of Republicans are opposed to it. Um, the Republicans oppose it because... Uh, Two-thirds of them believe that it will eventually lead to confiscation of all guns. Forty yeah. percent of Democrats support national registry because 
because they also believe it will lead to uh, eventual confiscation of all guns. And, you know, they give these reasons for why uh, we need to have this national registry. You know, supposedly it will be helpful in solving crimes. Um, the thing is, you know, in theory, if, if a criminal leaves a gun at a crime scene and it's registered to the person who committed the crime, then you can go and trace it back and solve the crime. The, the problem is that's not what happens in real life. One, crime guns are very, very rarely left at the scene. Uh, when they are left at the scene, it's because the criminal's either been killed or seriously wounded, so you've caught them anyway. And the few times that they are there, they're almost never registered to the person who committed the crime. Um, and, uh, you know, the, and they're almost never registered. And yeah. in the couple times where they are registered, they're not registered to the guy who committed the crime. And you see that we have places like Hawaii, which have had registration since 1960. You have uh, uh, Chicago and Washington, D.C. Uh, and in testimony in courts and other things, it's become clear that they can't point to a single crime that they've been able to solve. So you have all these resources going to doing that. And and yet you can point to places like California. You can point to uh, Chicago, D.C., New York, where they've used registration in the past in order to confiscate guns when or know who owns them when guns are banned. Yeah, this is all of this is worrisome. But on top of this, correct me if I'm wrong, John, and I expect you to, but the idea that the federal government is creating a federal firearm registry is against federal law. So this is blatantly against the law, but the Biden administration's having it done anyway? Right. Well, I mean, uh, the Brady Act uh, that was passed in 1994, uh, which set up these background checks that are being used to create this national registry, forbid uh, the federal government, once a background check was completed, to go and keep the record for more than uh, 24 hours. And and Democrats and Republicans at that time explicitly put that in there to prevent um, a national registry for guns to be set up. I mean, it just barely got enough votes to pass at that time. I mean, literally, just, just squeak through. Hmm. And if they had had something in there about allowing a national registry, there's no way uh, it would have passed at that time. And, um, you know, so uh, what they're doing, uh, a large part of this was for dealers that were going out of business, uh, that they had collected records. So a lot of these are old records. But then they said, well, you know, we're not conducting the background check right now. And it just says... Um, you know, you can't keep these records once the background check is done. We're going out and asking uh, these dealers for their records that are there. And so they're claiming it's it it doesn't exactly fall under the language of the of the bill, but it, it seems to me that it does. But in any case, uh, I suspect there'll be challenges. Obama tried to do something similar. Uh, he basically just ignored uh, the 24-hour restriction that was there. For literally for a couple of years, uh, the Obama administration just kept records for people who had purchased guns. 
when the Republicans got control of both the House and the Senate, uh, they were able to force the Obama administration basically by a threat that they were going to pass other legislation uh, and, and included in the budget. Um, but uh, And so Obama at that point uh, got rid of the list that was there. But he literally had a list for a couple of years, uh, oh. despite the 24 hours. So this is a pattern that both Obama and Biden seem to be following. Yeah, I'm not shocked at all. And uh, I'm also, the the irony is not lost on me that the president's son was a guy who lied on a background check form. And right. I'm, I'm wondering if that background check form is framed somewhere in the office <laughs> of the ATF and as a here's what you're not supposed to do thing. Uh, it, it's just so bizarre and ironic to me. John, at the same time, I mentioned the president going to New York and kind of making a photo op with the mayor and talking about guns and the crime wave that's happening. And you outlined this brilliantly in the Fox article that you had this week entitled Biden's gun first approach to violent crime ignores basic facts. It's not really about guns, the violent crime wave, is it? No, I mean, you know, the bizarre thing is you listen to Biden's uh, speech in New York, and he, as you're indicating, he just focused on guns. I mean, it was we want to put in prison people who commit crime with guns. Well, that's fine. You know, yeah, you should punish people. You should arrest them when they go and commit crimes with guns. But 92 percent of violent crime uh, doesn't involve guns in any way. So you would think, you know, if you're concerned about violent crime, uh, why not just make a promise that you're going to work harder to go and put violent criminals in general in jail? I mean, the reason why they're having the increase in violent crime in New York City and in other places isn't rocket science. It's that criminals are not facing real risks for going and committing crimes. You have a district attorney in Manhattan, uh, just like in Philadelphia and other places across the country, who's refusing to prosecute uh, violent criminals. Uh, misdemeanors, he's not punishing at all. Uh, felons, he's trying to punish many felons as misdemeanors. Um, you know, and some felons he's not even punishing at all. Yeah. You know, you have a real mess that's there. It's not difficult. You have inmates, large numbers of inmates being released from jails and prisons across the United States. Literally hundreds of thousands were released during the the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, you have uh, bail reform in New York, where you have even violent criminals um, have been released on no bail or, or tiny amounts of bail. Um, and then they go and commit other crimes. You know, if you have somebody who's committed a serious offense or multiple serious offenses and going to be facing decades in jail, what's the additional penalty that you're going to impose on him if he goes and commits another serious crime when he's out on bail? You know, in, in, in Houston, Texas, Harris County, Texas, you have 100, over the last three years, you had 156 murders were committed by people who had been released on little or no bail. Some of them uh, had had committed murder originally that they had been arrested for, that they were released on jail for, on bail for. And um, you know, if you're 
if you're somebody who's going to be facing 25 years in prison, what's the cost? What are they going to do? Going to put you in, you know, multiple lifetimes in jail? Is that going to make the difference? You know, one life sentence isn't going to be enough? Yeah, this this whole situation seems to be just backwards. And it's especially, again, I'm throwing in the irony and maybe a little bit of hypocrisy, what we call hypocrisy, that Biden was the guy who was the law and order guy behind the crime bill way back when. And suddenly he's completely forgotten that as well as what he had for lunch, which, you know, I do that, too. Uh, John, I've only got about a minute and a half left here. You said there's good news and bad news in the world of guns in the Second Amendment. Give me some good news, please. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully it'll be really good news. Uh, uh, you have the Supreme Court uh, in uh, a few months ago heard a case out of New York dealing with uh, their right to carry laws or their concealed carry laws where people have to go and provide a good reason for why they should be able to have the option to protect themselves and their families. And uh, uh, I believe that the Supreme Court's going to strike down the New York law, what could make it very good, and that will affect seven states, uh, New York, California, New Jersey, Maryland, uh, Massachusetts, Hawaii, so on. Uh, But the big thing might be they'll go and tell the lower courts, what rules they have to follow in the future for evaluating other laws that are being passed. And, you know, I think there's probably six votes for striking down New York and hopefully five for putting some strong rules that they have to follow for evaluating other types of laws that are there. Uh, And that could make a real difference. I mean, the problem is, I mean, and that's thanks to Trump's three appointments to the Supreme Court that, we wouldn't be even in play if he hadn't been there to do that. Unfortunately, um, despite all the appointments Trump made, uh, he's only able to bring the federal courts into rough balance politically, about equal balance between Republicans and Democrats. And Biden is getting judges confirmed to the lower courts at twice the rate that Trump had. So, you know, after four years or whatever, uh, We may be in a hole that we'll have to dig out from the lower courts because, you know, the circuit courts hear about 96,000 cases a year. The Supreme Court picks up about 60 to 70 of those. Uh, And so, um, you know, while the Supreme Court can undo some of the bad damage, they're not going to be able to undo everything. Yeah, we're facing an uphill climb from the circuits and from the lower courts, and it's it's all really important for us to pay attention to. His name is John Lott, and you can follow him. You could, you should go to Fox and and uh, Real Clear Politics and see the stories, but also go to crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org, and, and keep up with what uh, John is doing because he's trying to help us and trying to protect those Second Amendment rights. Thank you again, John. Oh, thanks for being there, Mike. I appreciate it. Well, that's going to wrap up uh, Monday's episode of the Pure Opelka podcast. I will uh, pledge to you to get this podcast out a little bit earlier tomorrow. Tuesday should be a much easier day. Right, Joe? I mean, you know, should be easier for me to get everything done. I don't want to get going because I have to keep you here too long because you know all what I'm about to, what I've said and you know what I've done and you know what we're doing and you know what I know what you're doing. But let me close with this. Yeah, let me close with this. God help America. And testudo, my friends. Testudo. Tell your friends.
Share the podcast.